Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. Here to amplify diverse voices in media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com, which is where you can find full links to the various movies that are talked about, uh, as well as follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> is it another week with another episode, two weeks in a row? Yes. Am I still nervous and am I still sweating while recording this by myself in my studio? Yes. Yeah, the answer to that is also yes. Uh, but I'm excited because this week there are going to be two new reviews. It will be for Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is the most ridiculous title, one of the most ridiculous titles in a long time, uh, and also for the new Pixar movie, Luca. So those two films will be discussed on this week's episode. Before I get into all of that, I wanted to go to the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Okay, so a couple quick housekeeping uh, issues, not issues, a couple quick housekeeping things. So after last week's episode, I had a couple people reach out and they said that it was good to hear my voice again. And they asked, you know, if this is going to be a regular thing and if I am back in it full time. The answer to that is a hard probably. Uh, I say that because I definitely want to make this back going with a consistent weekly episode I also realized that last year I said that a couple times and I was just not able to kind of get back into the groove of things, but this is 2021, it is June, it is sunny in Seattle, so I'm feeling good. And so yes, I definitely hope that this will be a more consistent thing, so thank you for those folks who reached out and and said that they enjoyed listening again and hearing my takes on things. It is one of those things that I have talked about before. I forget that people actually listen to this sometimes. I just kind of put it out there into the ether. And so when somebody hit me up on Twitter and they were like, like, oh my God, it's been so long. It's so good to hear your voice again. And I was like, oh, right. People, people listen. Uh, weird. But uh, even though it is, it is weird to me, thank you for, for continuing to listen. And definitely hit me up with any questions, comments, if there were any movies that you saw recently that you think I might want to check out, definitely let me know. So either on any form of social media at about to review or shoot me an email about to review at gmail.com is a good way to get a hold of me as well. All right. First movie on the docket is the Hitman's wife's bodyguard. Uh, this is the sequel to the 2018 film, uh, the Hitman's bodyguard. And it brings back everybody that you remember from the first one. So director Patrick Hughes, Directed the first one. He also did uh, Expendables and an Australian action movie called Red Hill a hot second ago. That was a long time ago. Uh, he also brought back 
some of the writers, uh, Tom O'Connor, Brandon Murphy, and Philip Murphy as well. So as I said, this is a sequel, and we see our, I'm not even going to call them heroes, We're, we see our characters back. We have Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson, and Selma Hayek, who are back from the first film. And in this one, it takes place, I would just say, soon after the first one. Nobody cares about the timeline. Like, this is not a Marvel movie. We're not going to dissect this and be like, ooh, was it eight months after this? Or, nobody cares. So this is soon after the events of the first one. We see Ryan Reynolds' character, Michael Bryce, still trying to retain, or not trying to retain, trying to acquire his triple A bodyguard status once again, which is the plot of the first movie where he lost it and is trying to get that back. He has visions of winning the triple A bodyguard of the year award and all of these things. But of course, that gets thrown into haywire uh, or throws in the, gets thrown into calamity. There we go. When they link, when he links back up with Samuel L. Jackson and Selma Hayek as Sonya Kincaid and Darius Kincaid. If you saw the first movie, I will just say this. Literally nothing happens in this movie that changes anything. Uh, it is essentially the same movie. Now, I say that I liked the first movie. Like I, I had to go back and this was kind of, <laughs> this kind of tells you something. I had forgotten that I reviewed the first movie. When I started seeing trailers for this, I was like, oh yeah, I was like, I think I saw that. I had to go on my own website and search for this movie and then listen to what I said about the original movie. I'm not saying that as a, you know, a diss on it or anything. It was just, I just forgot about it. Uh, but in re-listening to my review on the first one, I did enjoy it. So this one, I was like, okay, how about I just go into this, see what is going on. Um, yikes. Uh, the madness of the first one, which had Gary Oldman as the over-the-top villain, even then I was like, how do, how, what movie did Gary Oldman think he was in when he signed on? Like, you are a top, top-tier talent in this silly movie, but okay, sure. And then in this one, you get the addition of Antonio Banderas and Morgan Freeman, <laughs> and not in small roles. Like, this is not a type of, like, John Malkovich thing where sometimes he will just pop up in a movie for, like, four lines. And you're like, oh, all right, that was interesting. Nope. Antonio Banderas and Morgan Freeman play critical roles in this movie. And I'm like, how and and why? But getting to Antonio Banderas, uh, he is the villain of, of this piece as the Greek, I do not even know, Greek financier. Uh, yeah, Aristotle Papadopoulos. <laughs> Come on, writers. Like, they, they, I feel like they just put a bunch of Greek names on a dartboard. Actually, not even Greek names. Greek syllables. And they're like, all right, what do we got? We're just going to put this name together. Nobody is really going to care. Uh, the other thing that they do not care about with Antonio Banderas' character. So he is every cliche 80s action villain. So he is this over-the-top villain who has plans of kind of global domination. He has a virus that he is going to 
put into the mainframe of the European Union to shut it down and then make Greek or make Greece a superpower once again the way it deserves to be is what he's saying this whole time. Which could be interesting if he was Greek. This is Antonio Banderas sounding exactly like Antonio Banderas with his Spanish accent as this Greek national citizen who loves Greece so much and Greece needs to be a power again and Greece is the best. And it was like, what? Like if they had written in two lines of the story that he is some sort of like expat or that uh, he left Spain, but it was raised in Greece or something. Yeah, sure. It might be a tinge more believable, but it was like, why do you care, Aristotle Papadopoulos? Like, what what are your motivations for making Greece a superpower again that then you kind of control, but then you have the European Union at hostage? Like, Greece is a tiny country that has been falling apart for a long time. It was just bizarre. So not only is he the over-the-top 80s action villain, but the plot is also over-the-top 80s action with this virus that is just so innocuous. Nobody goes into any detail of what it is. Uh, that is ridiculous. And also, one thing that I will say first, uh, after saying negative things about it, one good thing, the scenery, like this was filmed all in Europe, just like the first one. This was part like in Italy, in Hungary, uh, in England, like all over the place. The cinematography is gorgeous. Like it looks incredible. And they filmed on location. You can tell a few times when they're on a set, which is fine. But in general, like the outdoor scenes, like everything looked great. Now, that being said, a lot of this takes place on the Amalfi Coast in Italy. Um, Is everything in this town made of explosive material? Because I swear, every single time that there was a car accident or a bike accident or anything that happens fireballs just explode which in certain movies helmed by ryan reynolds things like deadpool it is part of it like you can you can roll with it it makes sense when you see it in a movie like this even though they know that this is an over-the-top action comedy movie it was just distracting and to go along with that distracting visual of explosions everywhere this movie is loud i mean yes I have not been to the theater in a while. Uh, this is only my like third movie in a theater in 15 months. But this was a loud movie. Like every time there was an explosion, like it rattles your eardrums. So everything is just made of explosive material. And that was just silly. Um, one thing that I will say with, that definitely works is the chemistry. Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson, Selma Hayek, they work really well together. I complained in the first one when I was re-listening to my re my own review that Selma Hayek did not really get much to do. Like she was just there to swear a lot. And I was like, okay, kind of seems like a waste. This, they give her a lot to do. But it still revolved around her just swearing a lot and being just this archetype, this not archetype, this stereotype, this caricature of just this Mexican badass woman who just murders people and swears all the time. 
And that was it. Like, I, she killed people in the first one. This one, she straight up just murders people. And you have Ryan Reynolds, who is, uh, you know, a bodyguard in the first one and in this one, who he tries to not kill people. Samuel L. Jackson is a hitman, so he kills people. She is a murderer <laughs> and just does not have any qualms about it. So that that was an interesting choice, I guess, for, for them to give her more to do when it comes to that. But thankfully, the chemistry between them works. The chemistry with, with Antonio Banderas and Morgan, like, I will, mm, let me see. Morgan Freeman and Ryan Reynolds. I'm trying not to, like, spoil anything or, of course, you know, do that. But, like, Ryan Reynolds and Morgan Freeman have a fantastic scene together. Two of them, I would say. But one of them in particular is just really well done and really well thought out and funny there is a twist at the end of this that just it just angered me. It just it made no sense. Um, but that's a different thing. So, yes, the chemistry between all of the players, it works well. Uh, oh, speaking of an addition to this cast, Frank Grillo is here. Anybody who loves action movies like I do, uh, you know Frank Grillo from everything. Those of you who do not know him from everything, he was Crossbones in Captain America or rather in Civil War. So, like, you know who this guy is when you see him. He plays, speaking of stereotypes with Selma Hayek, Frank Grillo is from New York. He is an Italian guy from New York, plays the gruff Italian guy from New York a lot. This one, he plays a cop working for Interpol, a U, an American cop working for Interpol, and he is from Boston, and he will remind you that he is from Boston ten times in the course of this film. Everything with his like thick layered accent, his name, what is his character's name? Uh, Bobby O'Neill, of course, from Boston. And he just, he is the most extra Boston person. Mark Wahlberg is sometimes not as Boston as Frank Gurlow is in this movie. That tells you how much Frank Gurlow decided to go Boston, full Boston with this. And his whole connection of like being an American over there working for Interpol also makes no sense. Like he is kind of a disgraced American cop working for Interpol. There is a lot going on in this movie and none of it really works. Um, but if you are looking to kind of just shut your brain off and watch a silly movie, it might work for that. And I and I it is interesting also that with Ryan Reynolds being this like triple A bodyguard, you know, protector, he is kind of a klutz. Which plays well for laughs sometimes. But then the whole time you're like, wait, but he was at one point a very elite bodyguard and wants to get back there. But then he has like these like Peter Sellers, Pink Panther, clumsy moments mixed with John Wick moments. And I am confused by that. I'm not sure why they went that direction. Um, I was excited to see Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek together. Uh, they have done a bunch of movies together, but the movie that they did together that means the most to me is Desperado. Uh, watching that as a young man uh, was very forming uh, in, in, my, in my psyche. I love that movie a lot. Uh, so seeing them together, I was excited for that. I just wish that they had more to work with because this movie is just a mess. Um, I think it is cool, though. When I was doing some research on it, to give it kind of a fair shake, see kind of what else was going on. One of the behind the scenes things that I found out 
is over 150 cast and crew from the first film were involved in this one. That is massive. Like, that really says something. It is one thing to do a movie together, and you like each other, you work well together, something comes up down the line, and you have like 10, maybe 20 people to work with again. 150 people from the first one coming back for this one, to me, that really says a lot about the creative team. Whether it is Patrick Hughes, the director, the writers, Ryan Rutt, the actors, like something about that to bring back that many people for a sequel. I'm not sure what happened behind the scenes, but that is great. I really liked reading about that. <laughs> um, yeah, because that, that means a lot. And then, yes, that is like a weird industry type thing that most people might not care about, but I care. So good job to 150 people who came back. Um, I could talk more about it. There's not really much to spoil. It, it just, yeah, it, it is an action movie from the 80s in 2021 that tries to blend too many genres and does not do really any of them justice. We don't really get a spy movie. We get an action movie, but an over-the-top action movie that is weird. It just, yeah, it, it is bizarre. One last thing about it being bizarre. Apparently, Ryan Reynolds' character is indestructible. Uh, we see him shot. We see him hit by not one, but two cars, fast-moving cars. We see him ejected from a car. He gets beat up all the time and never really seems phased by it. Like, at one point, I feel like, and I get the first and second one. I think it was in this one. Like, he talks about, like, how he broke his ribs. And ten minutes later, he is fine. Which, again, you can kind of write off being like, okay, yeah, cheesy action movie. But I'm like, come on. Like, have a little bit of realism in there other than the blood on his face, which he had on his face for the majority of the movie. That was a nice touch. Good job, makeup person who kept that consistent. Uh, but... To the rating for this film, if this is your first time listening or your 182nd time listening, the rating system for this podcast, the best rating system ever of any podcast, no stars, no letters or anything, three choices, good, bad, or ugly. A good film was something you would recommend to a friend, you came out of the theater, you were excited about it, a bad film was something that was just kind of meh, and an ugly is a void at all costs. Um... There is not enough bad in this for me to call it an ugly because it is funny. The actors have good chemistry, but this movie does nothing. It does nothing for the growth of these characters other than like one thing towards the end. But even that is not done well. This is just bad. Um, yes, it is in theaters uh, or will be in in theaters by the time you listen to this. Um, actually, I think it comes out Friday. This episode, I think, should be coming out on Wednesday. Um, and I, I'm sure it will go streaming as well. If you already have a service, a streaming service, and you are not having to pay extra for this, sure, check it out. If you are having to pay for this, mm, I I would not recommend that. It is just, it is just bad uh, and just silly and dumb, which I like silly and dumb action movies, but with a little bit more substance. So, yeah, that was the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Oh, yeah, one last thing about the gripe, my gripe about Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Fight choreography, hot garbage. 
uh, way too close quarters, way too many cuts. You can tell the actors were not doing what they were there to. Yeah, it was just the fight choreography was not great. But moving on to Luca, Disney and Pixar's latest animated film. And this one, it takes the classic, oh, here comes the cliche, fish out of water story, uh, where we get the title character, Luca, and his very quickly uh, becomes his best friend, Alberto. And they're both sea creatures. I will not make them uh, into anything they are not and call them sea monsters. They're sea creatures who then they find out when they go above water, they become human visually and physically. They look human and they can blend in with human society. And then adventure ensues where we get uh, Luca played by Jacob Tremblay, who this young man has been crushing it since he was in room with Brie Larson. One of my favorite performances of Jacob Tremblay was actually in Good Boys from a couple years ago, which is a rated R comedy with young boys. And it is tremendous. <laughs> it was one of my favorite films of the year. So Jacob Tremblay as Luca, Jack Dylan Grazer as Alberto. Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer, you would recognize from It, parts one and two, and also Shazam, uh, where he plays Freddy. Uh, you also have like another kind of star-studded cast. You have Maya Rudolph as a voice, Jim Gaffigan as a voice, Sasha Baron Cohen as a voice, and then, yeah, quite a few others, uh, as well as Julia, who is played by Emma Berman. So in this, Luca is told, never go to the surface. The surface is crazy. There are animal monsters up there and human monsters up there, and you will never survive. We have seen this story a million times. I mean, this is the quintessential story of his parents, my Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan as Daniela and Lorenzo of the we live here, we do not go there. But of course, the movie would not be a movie without the kid going there. So as Luca breaks the surface, you know, of the water, finds out that he becomes human, starts to kind of like learn how to do that. We get this adolescent story and we get the story of friendship and rivalry, as of course in the town, you know, they meet Julia, whose rival of this cycling race is uh, Ercole. So we get we get friendship, we get rivalry, but again, like the whole time I was watching this, I was kind of waiting for more of a cultural punch, more of a cultural impact, and maybe that is that is the way that I was coming into this as. But the comparisons, I think, are just when people are talking about this with like Moana and Coco and Brave. When you have these cultural stories uh, written, and I've got to talk about the director. The director is Enrico Casaroso. Uh, he has been with Pixar since like 2002. Uh, he was Oscar nominated for his short La Luna. And this is his first feature film after kind of going through the Pixar system. So you get an Italian director you know, who has some writers that he really trusts and works with doing this Italian story in this Italian village. And some of it really, really works. Uh, in this town, Porto Rosso, on the Italian Riviera, the village is perfect. The people in the village, 
are perfect. Kind of the general tone of the villagers and how, you know, they're really excited to do this cycling race. That is also big in Italy. So those things really worked. And I spent some time in Italy a few years ago. And so like the the look of everything and seeing the old people just kind of like sitting outside of their door, just either gossiping or talking to folks and seeing that type of community was just like it was when I was in Italy. So that part really works. What I think was interesting is when they take this, you know, approach of, I would say like one part Little Mermaid, one part Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where, you know, we get this kid who is scared of the surface, scared of everything, but has this innate curiosity. He meets the fearless Alberto, and then Alberto becomes kind of his teacher in the human world, even though Alberto has no idea really what he is talking about. Similar to Little Mermaid, you know, a scuttle. So that that works. But again, we, we I struggled with this film. I struggled because I, I kind of kept waiting to feel more. I kept waiting to, to feel pulled in any sort of direction. The problem was that every single part of this movie you saw coming a mile away which is still okay and it can still work but something about this it just it did not really connect because it just it is a very stock standard story of just the kind of hero's quest of you know he goes there there's an obstacle there's a an older mentor who is Julia's ma or Julia's dad Massimo you know, so we get those archetypes. I just, I was not really invested in this. Uh, the animation style is definitely a departure. I think that some of the recent, you know, Pixar things, this has almost more to me of like a Wallace and Gromit type of animation feel. I think especially with the mouth movements, that mouths are very elliptical, very oval shaped and huge teeth. So to me, immediately I think of Wallace and Gromit. But it was, it was gorgeously animated. The friendship that you see in this, even though the rifts in the friendship and the challenges in the friendships, nothing will surprise you with this movie. You know exactly where everything is going to go. You know exactly where every character is going to go. But it really was a true tale of just friendship and acceptance of finding the people, finding your community who is going to accept you. And yes, there are a lot of allegories of the underwater versus above water and what it means to be accepted in those various places and to find somebody who accepts you for all parts of yourself. So those, those are valid. And I think those were done well. Um, the, <laughs> the racing, you know, parts of this, which is kind of one of the, the structures of this, uh, it was okay. There's kind of this weird triathlon not weird triathlon, a unique triathlon, I will say. But it is all to kind of lay the groundwork so they can go to this competition and they their whole goal is to get a Vespa because Alberto has been seeing this poster of a Vespa and he knows that a Vespa will take him all over the world. Again, well done, well acted. Every single step of this movie you see coming. Um... Let me see, what else did I want to talk about with this? I talked about the animation being gorgeous. The colors, that was also something that I think Enrico did really well. 
one of the cool things about the Italian fishing villages is so many of the houses, even though they look the same, are bright colors, are different colors. So in this like quote unquote one block, it is tough to do blocks in a lot of Italy just because of hillsides and rivers and everything. But if you say quote unquote one block of houses, gorgeous colors. And the story that I heard when I was in Italy, when we were going to Burano, which is outside of Venice, and the tour guide was like, the reason that these color that these houses are bright, different colors, the story goes, of course, who knows how accurate this is, was that when the fishermen would come back after a few drinks, all of the houses looked the same, but you could at least walk to the one that was the right color. Um... <laughs> Again, I have no idea how accurate that is. It makes for a good story. So who knows if the tour guide was just telling us that. But I liked that landscape. The visual landscape of this film is gorgeous. Everything from the underwater to above water. They did a cool thing with the audio for the underwater scenes in the beginning. It kind of does not hold throughout the rest of it. But there's definitely a, a decision made where the voices underwater were kind of muted. It almost sounded like... It was underwater, and that was a different with like the crispness of the audio when they were above water. Whether that was an intentional choice or, or not, but that was a really cool just audio piece that they did. Um, it was just, it was clever. Uh, and one of them, I think Jim Gaffigan actually makes the joke, uh, when Daniela at one point is talking about like some neighbor lady, uh, Mrs. Benzino, I think, talking about how she doesn't dolphin impression. And so she makes this dolphin noise. Jim Gaffigan's character, uh, Lorenzo, was like, I don't know why they even make that noise. Why don't they just talk? Clever. Again, a, a clever line like that because we're in this fictionalized world of sea creatures being able to talk. And you have a sea creature basically saying that dolphins know how to talk. They just choose not to. I thought that was cute. It was clever. Um, but yeah, so beautiful visuals. Really, really great fundamentals of the storytelling. I just wish that it had more of a cultural punch. Um, again, with Moana, we got to see the mythology and we got to see the passion and the heart of Polynesian people or a group of Polynesian people and Pacific Islanders. And we got to have that tie with Coco. Oh my God, like Coco destroyed me every time I watched it. And it was just such a beautiful and authentic and accurate representation of Latin culture, and I am not in the Latinx community, but parts of it still resonated with me deeply, just family and everything. Same with Brave, uh, Soul, you know, more recently with Luca. Like I said, like there, there were pieces of that, but I wanted more of that cultural landscape explored. I wanted more of, you know, like they, they could tie this into some sort of Italian mythology if they wanted to with the sea creatures because Ital Italy there are fishing villages all over. Of course they have stories of sea monsters. Like that makes sense. But I wanted a little bit more. I wanted to feel a little bit more. And I I did not. And that, that was kind of a shame. Um, but again, that maybe that was just the way that I was viewing it in the lens of wanting a cultural exploration along those lines that I of the films I mentioned and not getting it. That could totally be me. But uh, overall... My official rating for Luca is good. This is definitely like a very family-friendly Pixar movie. Uh, is it top-tier Pixar? Pic top-tier Pixar? 
Not even close. Um, is it lower tier Pixar? No. It is a solid middle ground Pixar, and that is okay. Not every studio hit, or not every thing that a studio puts out is going to be a hit and going to be the best thing that they do. Anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I ride hard for A24. I love A24. They are my favorite studio. I still might not love everything they do, but when they do have a hit, of course it is amazing. But even some of their mid-tier stuff is better than a lot of other things out there. Same with Luca. Like, this is a mid-tier Pixar film, but it is still really, really good. So, or actually, no, not really, really good. I strike that from the record. Stenographer, take that off the notes. This is a solid good. That was a close one. I almost made up a new system. Ridiculous. Uh, Yeah, so solid good. It drops on Disney Plus, I would assume, uh, this Friday. Yeah, so check that out. Um, Okay, pretty quick episode this week. Uh, And an actual quick episode. I say that a lot when I do episodes by myself and they end up being like an hour, which is ridiculous because I'm just talking to myself. But to recap, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, I give a bad two because it does absolutely nothing to advance the characters. Patrick Hughes talked about doing a third one, which the critics, some critics are already talking about like, what is the title of that one going to be? The Hitman's Ex-Wife's Child's Bodyguard? Who knows? If they make a third one, like why? Like, unless there's actually going to be character development or something different, just why? Uh, So it was bad. But if it is streaming, check it out. Sure. I I think it is short, too. Let me actually pull up the runtime again. Hour 40 for the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Less than two-hour time commitment for a silly action movie that you can have on the background and not miss much. Sure. Go for it. Uh, Luca clocks in just above 90 minutes. Um, and actually, I think that includes the credits because the screener that Disney sent me, I think it was only like, yeah, I thought it was like 88 minutes. Anyway, it says an hour and 35 minutes. That might include the credits. Uh, and to the credits, actually, of Luca, another thing Pixar does really well, I love the end credits of Pixar films. They almost always have like really cute drawings of advancing the characters or you see little things that you did not get to see in the movie. Luca does a fantastic job with that. I loved the end credits of this film because you get to see a continuation of the story and a growth of the characters, even in just simple drawings during the credits. I love that. Super clever. Um, there is a post credit scene that is, it will probably drop online, I would say, hmm, two weeks after the release of this. It is nothing that you need to sit in the theater theater for. You're sitting at home. If you sit through the end credits, go ahead and watch it. It is like 30 seconds. It was funny, um, but yeah, nothing too crazy. But yeah, so I gave Luca a good, Hitman's Wife, Bodyguard, a bad. That wraps it up uh, for this week's episode. Next week, um, I'm not sure actually which movies I have on the slate for next week. Oh, I do think the new Rita Moreno uh, documentary, which I cannot wait for. I actually requested that a while ago. I need to request it again, but I think that comes out this weekend, which means, yeah, I will get a chance to watch it if I do not get a screener and then talk about it next week. And I feel like there are a couple other ones, but I cannot remember what they are. Ooh, I watched a cool one on Shudder, actually. Uh, I will talk about that next week. So I will leave you in suspense. 
because it is Shudder and it is horror, so why not? So for this week's episode, uh, thank you again so much for listening. Again, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review. Send me an email, about to review at gmail.com. That wraps it up. So for this week's episode, Amplifying Diverse Voices in Media, I'm your host, as always, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.